Dark mornings know me best. Know the fear that I suppress. Sleepless, anxious, struggling for breath. It consumes my heart, constricts it tight, squeezing out any last bit of light. What is this fear that keeps sleep out of reach? It's because in those dark moments, I come face to face with the real me. And it's scary. During the day, I can hide it pretty well, stuffing the crap deeper inside my hollow shell. Putting on this I'm fine and happy disguise, but at night, the sinking disgust of all the lies comes crashing in a heavy and haunting demise. I hate who I am, though you'd never know it, but I can't change who I am. It doesn't work. I've tried it. So I lay awake in the dark, and I'm afraid of the dark and all the unknown, but I'm afraid of the light, afraid of being known. I'm afraid of love, but afraid of hate. Afraid of change, but afraid of staying the same. I'm afraid of the future and all that it holds. I'm afraid of who I'll be when I'm old. I'm afraid of the present and all its shame that whispers to my heart that I can't change. Change is an ideal, a deal made to be broken, an expectation that never actually happens. Why? Because you and I both know that it costs too much to leave what we know. Change is a violation of my safe place, though the comfort I crave is killing me. The collateral damage of staying the same is to target death and to hit that aim. So then, we must change. And the only way is through the one who claims to be the only way. Flip the script, expose the lies, embrace the truth, let it open up your eyes to see that Jesus is the one who offers life. And I see you there struggling to let down your guard. Admitting your need is really hard. But taking off the disguise, your masks aside, take a chance on not staying the same. That spark of hope becoming a flame, for out of the pit you are reclaimed. Lost in your identity, he has given you a new name. He silences shame. And by his grace, he is offering you change. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you all doing real good. I almost feel like uh, I could just pray and we could go home, right? That was awesome. That was incredible. Uh, that's also my wife, so I married up big time, okay? Uh, and it's one of those things when this happens, it's like, man, now I got to get up and talk for all you people for like 30 minutes and like no pressure at all, right? Hey, my name is Justin. I'm the Children's and Groups Pastor here at Center Point Church. I am so glad that you're with us today. We are wrapping up our series called Flip the Script. What we've been doing the last three weeks, four weeks including today, is looking at the lies that the enemy feeds us, teaches us, 
Uh, even people around us will tell us, and we're flipping the script and saying, no, like, that's a lie. Let's call it what it is, and we need to flip that script and embrace the truth that we find in Scripture. We've been looking at several lies, uh, like a lot of, you don't have what it takes, the lie that you can just fix it yourself, that thing that you're working through that's just difficult, that you're worried about, like you can just fix that yourself, don't talk to anybody about that. You also looked at a lie of, you should just give up last week. Man, when things get hard, just give up, right? No, actually, each of those weeks, if you weren't here, you really need to go back and listen to those because they are just honestly powerful message every one of us needs to listen to again and again because we need to record the truth from Scripture into our minds repeatedly. Today, we're going to jump into the, the last part of uh, our series of Flip the Script. But before we do, I just want to tell you, next week, we have a special Sunday uh, because we're going to focus next week all about how our gathering, every one of us is part of this, how our gathering is going to incredibly bless and just give stuff away to our community throughout the Christmas season. And we're going to talk all in detail how we're going to do that, what it's going to look like, and how you can be a part of that. So every single person here, you need to come back next week because next week is like we're already talking about Christmas, right? Who here is excited about Christmas? Anybody? Right? All the kids in here are like, yeah, woohoo. I asked our three-year-old, what do you want for Christmas two days ago? She said, nothing. I said, okay, baby girl, like, you don't know what Christmas is yet, so we won't get you anything. Uh, but even for me, I love Christmas. I'm excited about Christmas. Honestly, I listened to Christmas music last month, okay? Just for whatever reason, I'm excited about it. So next week, come learn about how we are going to just honestly be giddy about giving stuff away because it is truly better to give than to receive, and we're going to act like it. So come join us, hear about how we're going to do that next week. And the week after, we're going to start a brand new series. It's always a good time to invite somebody. Any weekend is a great time to invite somebody. And if you're here for the first time, you are somebody to us. We love having you here. We're so glad that you're with us. And we're going to jump into the last part of Flip the Script, talking about the lie that you will never change. And this is something that we have heard people tell us, no doubt, Right? In, in high school, as a high school student, you, you're always this way. You're never growing up. You're never going to be different as you get married. You're just like so-and-so. You didn't do it. You promised you wouldn't ever, and then you kept doing. Uh, and people tell us this. The enemy, Satan, tells us this. Scripture actually says, Jesus tells us that the enemy, Satan, is a liar, and he seeks to simply come and destroy everything. And that is his goal, is to lie to us and to destroy us. And he knows if he can get us to believe the lies, then we will be more easily destroyed and distracted. So we've been flipping every lie on its head and calling it for what it is. It is a lie, and we've looked at truth. And this lie of you will never change is not just something that someone has told you, but it's probably something you've told yourself. Right? Like, as you lay in bed awake at night, as I lay in bed awake at night, thinking through my day, I don't ever have regrets of all the great things I did that day. I don't lay in bed and go, man, I was like a 9 out of a 10 today being a husband. Like, I just, like, set the bar so high. My only regret is I did so good tomorrow, I got to do it again. Like, that's not what I lay in bed thinking about. I think about the things of, man, I wish I didn't do this, or I wish I didn't do that, and, and am I going to be able to change this? And every one of us, we want change. If not for us, we want change in the people around us, Right? You look at the people around your coworker, your spouse, your parents. You know, man, like if they would change, if they'd be different, man, I'm okay, I'm good. But if they would just embrace the teaching of the Bible, I really need to get them to come in to listen to this message because they are the ones that need change. Now we want change, but it's not just about changing what we do; it's about changing who we are. But so many of us, when we think about change, we think about back to what do we do. 
The scary thing is it's October 22nd, so we are much closer to January 2018 than we were January 2017. And some of us already are thinking about New Year's resolutions. We have goals, we're going to write it out, we get our vision board set up, and like, this is who I'm going to be. We think about embracing healthy habits, we're going to eat this, do this, stop that, change this, start this new adventure, whatever it may be. We focus on, hey, we want to change, and we want to change our habits. And for some of us, if, you, if you've thought about changing habits, you've read about changing habits, you've possibly heard it takes about 21 days to change or start a new habit. Anyone here ever hear that? 21 days? Yeah, some people, yeah, okay, okay. If we can get you to raise your hand for 21 days, then everybody here will raise their hand, right? I'm just kidding. Thank you for that laugh. So, but here's the thing. So, you hear 21 days. Actually, that started back in the 1960s, and a doctor discovered this. Dr. Maxwell Maltz. The only problem is Dr. Max wasn't a psychologist. He wasn't a behavioral health specialist. He wasn't anything dealing with your brain. He was a plastic surgeon. And what he realized was that it, on average, took a minimum of 21 days for his patients to get used to their new look. So you go to Dr. Max and you say, hey, I need a nose job. I need my eyebrows things. I need something else. I'm not going to refer to any other part of the body besides the face talking about plastic surgery because I'll probably get in trouble, okay? But you need some work done. Dr. Max hooks you up. You get your work done. And then it takes you about a minimum of 21 days to get used to when you wake up in the morning, you don't scream anymore because you recognize yourself. It was never based on establishing habits. It wasn't, he didn't interview all these people and track all these things. He just said, hey, it takes 21 days for people to get used to themselves. And then from that point, we have this whole uh, movement of people really talking about, it takes 21 days to establish a new habit. And we write motivational books. We have motivational speeches. We're pushing people, hey, if you can just do this for 21 days, then you'll have a new habit. And for some of us, we've done it for 21 days and it didn't work, which leads us back to believe the lie that we will never change because we have misinformation. That actually, uh, there was a couple of universities that back in 2009 did more research, and they tracked with a group of people for about 12 weeks and said, okay, you're going to establish a habit. It could be running every day. It could be drinking a bottle of water at work every day. Whatever it is, you're going to try to establish a habit. And it took those people, on average, 66 days to start a new habit, three times longer than the original 21 days. And this is something that we've looked at for the last several weeks is when we hear something and something that is widely accepted as truth, most people believe it's true. So we can take things that are not true, and everyone here, hey, we all believe it, and we could probably, honestly, I could take you know, my time today and convince you it takes 21 days to start a new habit, and all of us would be excited about it, and we're going to go out there, and in 21 days, we're going to be new people, but it's not true. But if all of us accept it, then for a lot of us, it becomes truth for us, even though it's a lie. The Bible, Scripture, our gathering, our church, God is not just about habits and behavior. He's about changing who you are. Scripture, the whole theme of Scripture is that God wants to transform us into, really, the image of himself. He wants to transform us from the inside out. And if you're here today and you say, Justin, I have tried changing my behavior back to my heart. I've tried to change what I do with my hands to eventually, hopefully, change my heart. Like, you know, like I do, that's pointless and hopeless. And one of the things we want to look at today is how God wants to change us, wants to transform us from the inside out, and that change is possible. 
One guy who knew so much about change was a guy named Paul. And this guy, if you look through scripture, you've been around church, you've probably heard of Paul. He wrote a portion of the Bible. Uh, He actually went from someone who was attacking and destroying Christianity, the church, the movement of people following this teacher, Jesus, who claimed to be, be the answer of all the world's problems. Like he was trying to destroy these people. And then he actually, if you look in your Bible, Acts chapter 9, he meets Jesus and changes his entire life and goes on to not destroy the church movement anymore, but to embrace the teachings of Jesus and to spend his life and ultimately give his life for the church, for Jesus, to continue to teach people about this Jesus who is the answer to all of the problems in life. And even if you don't believe the Bible, you'd say that kind of change is worth investigating. I do believe that Paul's life is a huge argument that the claims of Jesus and scriptures are actually true. Because you don't go from destroying something to dying for something if, if it wasn't true. So Paul actually, he wrote a lot of letters to churches. We're going to look at a couple of those different letters, all about how he changed, but also how we can change. And the thing about all of us is whether you are in junior high or you are a junior partner at your firm and like things are going great and we love it, or you are a grandparent, like all of us know instinctually we need to change. We know we're not all right. Even though throughout the day you might feel like, hey, people think I'm okay, I can put a face on at work or at school or at home. But again, when I'm laying in bed at the end of the day, I know I'm not all right. And none of us are. And this is where we can see from Scripture how we can have life to the fullest, how we can embrace what God has said about how we can change and truly find life to the fullest. Because scripture, Jesus, right before he talks about having life to the fullest, he tells us that the enemy is trying to destroy us. This is John chapter 10. You can read it for yourself. The enemy is trying to destroy us, but Jesus came to offer life. And what God did in the beginning of time is he gave life to all humanity, and then we rebelled against him, and then he came back later and said, okay, now I'm going to give you something called the law. I'm going to give you instructions on how to best live life. And for some of us, we want to throw off the law and say, okay, I don't care about the law. Well, think about this. It's just the law is simply God's instructions for, filling a, for living a fulfilled and fulfilling life. Just like if you're driving on the street and there are guardrails, there are stop signs, there are stop lights, that's going to make it better for everybody, right? If you're driving and someone runs through a red light and hits your car and destroys your car, that ruins your day probably. And they need to follow the law, but also I need to follow the law. So think of God's law as instructions from a heavenly father who's divine, the supreme being who gives us his instructions, says this is how best to live life. And this is what Paul said about this passage in Romans 7. He talks about the law, showing how the law is what actually shows us that we need to change. This is what he said, Romans chapter 7. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Now this part of Romans, Paul is talking through how the law shows you what you're not supposed to be doing. So coveting, really simply, and we don't use that word a whole lot uh, in our culture, our context, but coveting is just wanting what other people have. 
right? And some of us say, that's not a big deal. Like, covenant, I want what someone else has. Like, you walk out here, and some of you, like, you didn't know what covenant was, and now you do. So you walk out, you go in the parking lot, and you're going to see someone else's car and go, man, like, I wish I had that car. Oh, that's what coveting is. Like, Justin just talked about that. Now I know I'm doing it. I didn't know I was doing it before, and now I know I'm doing it. And you might say, that's harmless. Wanting what other people have, that's harmless. But, like, what if I wanted your wife? Now, if you're a good husband, you're going to have a problem with that. Right? And you go, oh, man, like, oh, what if I wanted your house? Or what if your coworker wanted your position and went around slandering you and talking bad about everyone to everyone about you because they wanted what you had? Something as simple as coveting, you go, okay, like that, that is a, kind of a bigger deal. What Paul's saying is, I didn't even know what sin was until I read the law, and God's instructions showed me what sin was. For so many of us, honestly, we don't know what sin is. There's a legitimate ignorance of like, okay, like, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. Like, I had, I had no idea. We're going to talk about things in, in church, in small groups, in our community group, at Velocity, in our children's area, where we're going to talk to people about the truth of God's word, and you go, I didn't even know that was in God's word. I didn't even know I wasn't supposed to do that. This is the thing of, of God's word is the ultimate instructions for us, but for so many of us, we don't know how to combat the lies with the truth because we don't know God's word. And it's not just about the law, and it's not just about doing the right things. It's about following his word and knowing who God is. This is why Next Steps Week 2 is so important. Every month, the second week of the month, this is why we talk about Next Steps every week, because this is like, if y'all could go through that, it would help you, and it would, for some of you, it would revolutionize your life. Week 2 happens the second week of every month, and it focuses on how you can learn how to walk with God every day how you can embrace the teaching of the scripture, how you can practically, like, here's how to read the Bible. Here's how to understand stuff. Because you're not always going to have someone up here talking about the Bible to you. Like, you can go home. You can actually look at the Bible for yourself. You can learn for yourself. And you can follow God's instructions because it will lead us to change. It will show us where we need to change. And for all of us, no matter what the change is, like, there's something that hangs in the balance, Right? Like, even something small, like, I, one thing I wish I could change about myself is I wish I could dance, okay? I cannot dance. This is how bad it is. I will dance with our toddlers, but we have to make sure we go and close, like, the blinds on the patio door so no one sees in. And now, my three-year-old will not dance unless the blinds are closed on the patio. Like, all right, let's dance. No, like, she goes and she shuts it. I'd love to dance. What hangs in the balance of me not being able to dance? Honestly, like, fun, I'd love to be at a wedding and just, like, let loose and have fun and dance, but, like, you know, people aren't ready to see that, okay? <laughs> like, that's not going to be good. But I would love to, to dance, and you say, okay, so, so dancing is a small thing, having fun, like, that's a small thing, but, like, what about, as I think through things in the future, like, what about my daughter's weddings? And I want to dance at those. I want to enjoy those. And, and for all of us, whenever we want to change something, something hangs in the balance, and what hangs in the balance for all of us that is the highest thing, the greatest thing that hangs in the balance is our eternity, our relationship with Christ. Because every one of us is an eternal being is what scripture would teach. And every one of us will spend eternity somewhere. So why do we need to change? Why is it important for us to change? It's because our eternity matters. Paul actually wrote to people about their eternity in the book, uh, the letter he wrote in 1 Corinthians. We're talking about how we need to change and why we need to change. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, 
Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? When I talk about inherit the kingdom of God, what that means is that Scripture teaches that Jesus, God, is going to come back and establish a literal kingdom to rule the earth in a new kingdom. And when we have a relationship with Jesus that is restored and right, we will inherit that in kingdom with him. We'll be part of him. We'll be part of his family, okay? That's a good thing. Basically, what it's saying is bad people don't go to heaven. Now, all of us, even if you are like, hey, I don't believe the Bible, and this is one reason I don't believe the Bible, because you say things like this, like all of us would probably agree, if I made a list of people who shouldn't get into heaven, a lot of us could agree. If I said Adolf Hitler, he should go right into heaven, right in front of the line. I say, no. That person that abused you, they should go to heaven, they should go front of the line, right? That, that horrible situation, like a lot of us would say, no, like, Okay, I might not, we might not agree on the, the standard, but like all of us would say wrongdoers, bad people, they, they, don't, they don't get into heaven. Now, what Paul goes on to explain is who bad people is. Now, before we do, what I want to say is um, I understand that listening to me for 30, 35 minutes can be a lot for some of you, and I totally get it. So you might zone in and out. That's totally fine. Just don't fall asleep or distract somebody else or yell, okay? But here's the thing. The next five minutes are really important. So everybody focus for the next five minutes because if you tune out, if I say something you disagree with and you tune out over the next five or six minutes, like that could have profound impact on how you leave this building, okay? So you all focus with me for the next five minutes. So this is what he says. He goes on to explain who bad people is. Do not be deceived. Now, again, this is how the enemy works, in deception. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want everyone to look at your Bible, if you have your Bible with you. Download the YouVersion Bible app. Open up your Bible if you have a paper Bible. Look at your Bible. Okay, a lot of you still looking at my face. Look at your Bible. My Bible's not your face. My face is not your Bible either, okay? Look at your Bible. And this is the thing. Look in there. Are any of these sins highlighted, underlined, circled, put a star next to them, have arrows pointing at them, in bold, anything like that? Because if it is, you're the one who put it there. Because Scripture talks about all these people, and this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a list where Paul goes on to say, these are people who will not inherit the kingdom of God because they will not turn and trust Jesus. They are focused on turning and trusting themselves. And what happens is we, myself, we will take a sin and we will make it the biggest deal. And chances are, like, you've never seen someone walk around, we, God hates swindlers sign, right? You've never seen a, a parade that has people walking down the street with God hates slanderers. No, we talk about sins and we elevate them. And it's not that one sin is less important or one sin is more important or that, or that one of these things don't matter. What Paul is saying, he's giving a list and he's saying, these are things, these are examples of people who are not turning and trusting God. Now let's get the elephant out of the room real quick and talk about the sexual sins, okay? Because we talk about sexual morality and homosexuality. And this is, I want to say first and foremost, we say this all the time and we sincerely mean this. Everyone is welcome here. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter uh, who you are dating. Doesn't matter your sexual orientation. Doesn't matter what you did last night, what you did this morning, what you're going to do tomorrow. Like everyone is welcome here. We want this to be a place where it's easy for people to hear about Jesus and turn and trust Jesus. And even if you don't turn and trust Jesus today, you are welcome to come back. But there is, in sexual sin, the heading, if you will, is sexual immorality. That's 
homosexual and heterosexual. All the sins are listed underneath that. There is no sin that rises to the top of sexual immorality. So whether you're the husband who is cheating on his wife with a woman or you're the husband who's cheating on his wife with another man, you're both adulterers. So let's just make that clear. And this is the thing, though, and this is where, if you focus for another two minutes, this is where, really, this is, this is what you came for. The next verse is where the power is, because if we stayed right here, this is hopelessness, right? I just explained everyone that's not going to get into heaven. I explained everyone who's the wrongdoers. Well, I didn't explain it. Paul explains it. And if we say, hey, guys, we're going to pray, we're going to be gone, gone. we just go, that's pretty hopeless. And what happens so much is we hear a message like this and we feel a pressure to change, but we don't have the power to change. And this is where scripture, we need to look at the whole passage and why it's so important for you to look at scriptures for yourself. Because I could stop right here and I could probably teach a whole another 20 minutes about all the bad things. But the next verse, the very next verse is where we see the beauty of the church, the beauty of God show up. It says, and that is what some of you were. Some of you, some of, some of us, and this is the thing, every one of us in here, if, if we are embracing Jesus, we've turned and trusted Jesus, and we're walking towards Jesus, we have that relationship with him, we are a were. And we could stand up, we could take probably all day for people to stand up and say, this was the thing that I was running away from God for, and then he got a hold of me, I turned, I trusted him, and this is how my life is completely different. And this is where our marriage was falling apart, and things were just bad, and then we turned, we trusted Jesus, and things are restored. Or other people say, hey, this is the situation I went through, this is the sin that I struggled with, and I am a were person Past tense. And every single one of us in here, like, if you don't know you're a were you're so proud, you can't even see it. And my, my desire for you would be that you would see it, not from a place of hammering you with the Bible, from a place of saying, hey, like, I was one of them too. This is where we see the beauty of God. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, these words, washed, sanctified, purified, justified. This is, how, this is how God looks at you when you turn and trust Jesus. He washes you up. You don't wash yourself. You don't need to get your life together before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, he will help you get your life together. You were sanctified. This is God has cleaned you. Now he claims you as his own. He pulls you apart. He sets you apart. It's like if you grew up with siblings, you come home, there's pizza, you grab a slice, your brother wants it, what do you do? You spit all over that slice. If you never did that, you were an only child, right? All the only children here are like, what are you talking about? Everyone else, anybody, can I, get some, can I get some noise for that? Like, anybody do that? Yeah? Some of you do that? I set that slice apart for myself. It's mine. But your brother probably will still eat it if he really wants it, and if he's bigger than you. Christ has set us apart he sets you apart because he wants you, not because you're a bother, not because he just tolerates you. He doesn't just set us apart. He justifies us. What that word is saying, that's a legal term. It's talking about how you are taking the slate, the bad things you've done have, has been completely erased. The bad things you have done in the past and the bad things you will do in the future, both are completely erased. 
when you turn and trust Jesus. That is where we have the power to change. So when we look at who bad people are, bad people don't go to heaven, who bad people are, we are all bad people. And for all of us, it's not God's anger, God's frustration, God's wrath, God's judgment, God's law that will have us turn to him. It's actually his kindness. Paul saw this, and Paul even wrote about this in Romans chapter 2. He said, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Like, do you not care that God's patient and kind towards you? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Repentance simply means turning from the thing that's destroying you. The thing, the area you're going, repentance is I'm going this direction, I need to turn around and go that direction. And it's not that God's yelling at you in an angry tone to get you to come back. God is a loving heavenly father. And I can tell you as a, a, a broken earthly father, when my little girls, when I want them to come, if I yell at them with a loud, scary voice, they don't want to come to me. They want to run away. But when I am kind and sweet, I mean, like, they're one in three, so they don't come anyways, but <laughs> when I am kind and sweet and I can take them, and there's times where literally our three-year-old, she's not a bad kid. She's awesome. She's just three, right? If you've had a three-year-old, you know, like, man, it's tough. Times where you just literally, you have to take her and just hold her in your arms in the rocking chair until she stops throwing her fits so you can talk about your love for her and tell her who she is, that she's a kind and sweet girl and that I love her no matter what. Now, if I, as a broken, messed up father, can display that degree of kindness and love to my broken and messed up daughter, how much more a perfect heavenly father to us? His kindness leads us to repent. Now, some of you, you have grown up in a church or you've heard a message or you live next to people that this was their message. Like, it's not God's kindness. You need to clean your life up. You need to come. And this is where I want to say that's a lie of the enemy as well. And we even flip the script on that lie as well of is God's kindness because God wants you. He loves you. And Paul realize this. You think if anyone heard the lie of you will never change, if anyone had guilt from what he used to do, it would probably be Paul. Paul is, again, think about the, the real life reality. He was taking people, dragging them away, trying to destroy the church, putting them in jail, and then a few months, a few years later, he shows up at that gathering as the guest speaker. And people know, hey, Paul was in charge of my dad being drug away and killed. Paul was responsible for my wife being pulled out of our house by her hair and taken to be judged and killed. Like, like Paul, I believe, heard this lie all the time. You will never change. But it wasn't about him changing. It was about Christ doing something in him. That's where Paul even talks about this. Again, if you have your Bible, you look at Acts chapter 9. It goes through his change in life. But also, if you go even through the rest of the book of Acts, it's him doing stuff and him explaining things. But he talks in 1 Corinthians 15 where he is the least of the apostles. Why? Because he persecuted the church of God. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul recognized, I have no place to be an apostle. Apostle is just an early church leader, one of the foundational leaders of the church. He said, I have no, like, I'm the least of these guys. 
but it wasn't just me working hard. Yes, he worked hard. Yes, he hustled, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working in him. For some of us, you are so tired. I am so tired because I'm trying to work harder. I would say, like, we do need to work hard. You're a bum of a husband. You tell your wife, hey, I'm not trying to work hard. I'm going to allow God's grace to work in me. No, that doesn't work. You need to work hard. You need to hustle. You go to work and say, hey, nah, I'm a Christian, so I don't got to work hard. I'm just going to let God's grace flow through me today, okay? Like, we cool with that? Like, no, it's not okay. You do need to work hard. But in terms of changing who you are, changing your desires, changing the makeup of your soul, it's not you working hard. It's God working in you. And the thing about it is, so often when we work hard, it's because we feel guilty. We go through something, we have a situation, and we feel guilty. And trust me, like, I get it. I'll get up 6 a.m. and go run. Not because I love running, but because I love food. And the night before, I ate over eight. I'm like, man, I got it. And it's not like, I'm just so excited I get to be healthy and run. And it's like, man, like, if I don't run, I'm going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, like, that's not okay. So I ate a lot Monday night. I got to run on Tuesday morning. And I'm guilty about it. I don't love it. It's a pain. And some of you, like, let's be for real. Some of you are here right now or you're listening online or you're podcasting later because you feel guilty about what you did Friday night or Saturday night. And now you're here trying to make it better. Like, that's not going to work. Because there's no power in guilt. Because the power of change only is found in grace, never guilt. For so many of us, we're operating of our power source for change is I feel guilty about it instead of God is giving me the grace. Grace, simply defined, is unmerited favor. God gives you something you don't deserve. For every single one of us, God wants to give us things we don't deserve. And it's not like I don't deserve that work promotion, but God wants to give it to me anyways. It's not like I don't deserve to get on the team, but God wants to give it to me. That's, that's simple stuff. It's important for you, but God wants to give us things that are even more important. God wants to give you himself. God wants to work in you to change you by his grace, to give you the things that you don't deserve, that I don't deserve, but he wants to give them to us anyways. Why? Because he's a kind, loving father. So for all of us here, you think, man, it's not about us acting more Christian. It's not about you hanging around with us and, and plugging in and going through next steps and joining a community group and getting on a service team and doing this and doing that and the other thing. Like, no, like, like if it's one place of guilt, it's empty and hollow and exhausting. You get to do those things. You get to be a part of a gathering. You, you get to embrace the teachings of Jesus. And for all of us, we need to remember that God's grace, is he's given us what we don't deserve, but also he gives us grace every single day because change is a process. It's not an event. It's not like, hey, I decided I'm going to stop, so I'm stopping. Hey, I decided I'm going to start, so I'm starting. And you've done that before, some of you. You have a big emotional ceremony, even at a church service of, hey, come to the front, and we're going to do this, and you're going to stop, and you're going to stop. And some of you, like, miraculously, you stop, and boom, you're done. But for all like honestly, most of us, or for, even for you in some area, other areas of your life, it's a process. But change is possible because of an event. It's the event of Christ Jesus coming to save us. Scripture would teach that Jesus came to seek and to save 
the lost. He came to the sick people, not the healthy people, to restore all of humanity back to God, something that we could never do. And because of that event in history, that is a literal event, it really happened. There are people who saw him die. There was more than 500 people who saw him actually come back to life and walk around and do stuff. Like, that actually happened. Look it up. If you're skeptical, you're cynical, you don't believe this, like, you look through history, you will see Jesus was a real person, and that event of Jesus coming back to life actually happened. And because that happened, I can change. Because God wants to give me the things I don't deserve, starting with himself. I don't deserve God. You do not deserve God. But he wants to give us himself anyways. The lie is that we will never change, that you will never change. The truth to that lie, the thing we need to flip the script on that lie is that God changes us by his grace. Not his anger, not his frustration, by his grace. And for all of us today, it's simply receiving that grace of turning and trusting Jesus, not ourselves. We looked at that list of wrongdoers, of bad people, and all the people, when I am greedy, I'm trusting myself, I'm not trusting God. When I'm sexually immoral, I'm trusting myself, I'm not trusting God. And all of us, we need to turn and trust Jesus. We can begin that relationship with him where we're saying, Jesus, it's not about what I'm doing or what I'm trying to do or me dealing with it or working hard. It's about Jesus doing the work for us. But Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life, totally fulfilled the law of God, died in our place, taking our punishment on himself and then rising to life three days later, coming back to life, resurrecting from the dead to offer us life freely. And just simply turning and saying, Jesus, like, I trust that that is enough to restore my relationship to God. Nothing else. It's not a enough and. It's not that, Jesus, you did enough, but then I need to start going to church. I really need to embrace this center point thing. I really need to get put. No, that's not. It's, Jesus, what you did is enough. If you're here and you're still trusting in yourself, you won't make it. That's the thing, even as we looked at these, these lies that we've been looking at the last few weeks, like, this is the reality, the lie that you don't have what it takes, that's actually true if you're not trusting in Christ, if you're trusting yourself, because you don't have what it takes. The lie that you should just give up, this, honestly, if you're not turning and trusting in God, you should just give up. You should give up and turn to Jesus. Every single one of these lies has us turning our, uh, I, 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 our eyes, our affection on Jesus, not ourselves. Would you pray with me? Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, out of respect for the people around you? So for some people, prayer is a very private thing, and we want to be able to respect people and make it a place where you can easily respond and engage with what God is teaching you, what God is doing in your heart and your life today. First, I would just ask, if you have learned something through this series of Flip the Script, you've heard a lie that you need to flip the, the script on to embrace a truth from Scripture, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I have learned something through this series. Hands, you can put them up and back down. Man, people all over the place. That is so exciting. You put your hand up, right back down. You don't have to do it right now. You can do it in two seconds. But hey, you're saying, I learned something. That is awesome. That is why we do what we do is so that you and I, that we together can learn what Scripture would say for our lives. But also there's, there's some of you here that you'd say, Justin, you're talking about turning and trusting Jesus 
and I don't know if I have turned and trusted Jesus. I don't know if I am turning and trusting Jesus. I don't know even what that means. This is what Scripture teaches is that when you turn and trust God, that what Jesus did for you through his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, what he did for you is enough to restore your relationship to God. Like that's what we call the good news. That's what we call the gospel, that Jesus did all the work, that he is enough. And you can simply believe that what Jesus did is enough, and that will restore your relationship with God. And you can do that today. It's not a special prayer. It's not a special ritual. You don't got to come to the front or stop in the back or anything. Like that. You can even right there where you're seated, you can say, Justin, I want to turn. I want to trust Jesus, you can talk to God right now. You can tell him, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust that what you did is enough. And if you're here today and you say, Justin, I do for the first time, I want to trust that what Jesus did through his death and resurrection is enough to restore my relationship to God. Would you raise your hand right now? Would you say, Justin, I do. I want to trust Jesus right now. Awesome. You raise your hand. And this is the thing. We're not trying to get your information and follow you up and chase you down and all that stuff. We just want to connect with you and really honestly walk this journey with you. Because we know, again, change is a process. Turning and trusting Jesus is something we all must do every day, whether we just started to trust him today or it was years ago. I just want to pray for all of us that we will be able to turn and trust Jesus as we leave this place. Jesus, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for wanting us. And God, I pray that we would all be able to every day flip the script of the enemy in our lives, God, that we'd be able to embrace the truth that you offer and God, that you freely, you freely give us life. You freely give us change. I pray that we'd be able to turn and trust you no matter what, God, and that as we do that, we would see our lives truly become fulfilled through following you. God, we love you. And we know that you love us, not based on who we are, but based on you, who you are. Thank you for being good to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.